Hi guys, welcome back to the Physique Factory podcast with your host James and unfortunately Connor's not going to be with us today but we have a special guest in Alistair. So Alistair is with Premier Physique, his um, his coaching brand. Um, do you want to jump in and tell, you, tell us what it's all about? Yeah, sure. So um, we branded about, I don't know, four months ago, four months ago, five months ago now. Um, and the, the main reason for that is about like really taking people's physiques to the next level. Like I've been mentoring and coaching coaches for about a year and a half, two years now. And like the main passion I have is really like transforming people's physiques and, and lives essentially. So taking everything to a premier service and, and like that's the main reason behind the name. Myself been coaching for eight or nine years now, something like that. So like I've been in the industry a long, long time and like I've seen trends and all that come through and whatnot. But like you and I, we, we really got on because we love mechanics, don't we? We love training. I think we both got an obsession with training and and that's how we sort of hit off. And like that's where my passion is, is training. Like nutrition's cool. I, I do like learning about nutrition. I do like learning about supplements and extra supplements and all that kind of thing. But trainings for me is what like gets me up and like really, really drives me toward the gym. Where did you first like start off in the industry? Uh, so I was quite fortunate. Um, I was in uni doing a degree in design engineering. Uh, and then I become really obsessive with training, like really obsessive. I was going seven days a week, training for three hours. And all this and my granddad got me a PT. Um, so I had a PT from a, from, a short, from a young age, so I think it must have been about 19, 20. Then finished university and then the PT reached out saying they had a job opportunity. I was also inquiring for the RAF to be a PTI in the RAF, so I had that passion within the industry. And then I got a job with this with this company and as much as like I look back on the company now that I work for and like it was very Gary Gray, sort of-esque in regards to like movement-based, like stretching people's hip flexors and all this kind of thing. Yeah. Very different to what you and I sort of talk about now. Um, it got me learning about anatomy and mechanics from a very, very young coaching age. Like I learned about like gait analysis and and like Norman Kliglicek. Yeah, cool. Which don't get me to recite now because I probably won't be able to remember it off the top of my head. But like I learned all this stuff so young and I, I found it so fascinating. One that and I personally owned the company, he was training these athletes. Um, and again, like I don't agree with the training methodologies now looking back on it, but like it was quite cool. It was like very poor checky as well. No, very, very like yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So like very, very you know, like holistic in the approach. And like yeah. if you look at Paul Check now where he's standing on rocks, like <laughs> men, like all that kind of shit. But yeah, I, I got exposed to that from a young age. And then we work with quite like I work with quite a lot of sort of different individuals from like people who own businesses to nurses to teachers and all this. So I was exposed from a very young coaching sort of age to a lot of different people. And then I worked for Absolute Body Solutions, where I was the manager, and that was sort of like um, a personal training company that was really, really driven on results. Uh, worked there for a year and a bit and then went self-employed and then started my own business and so just went on from there really. I'm still good friends with the owner from um absolute body solutions like get on one corner very, very well. And like he gave me an opportunity that probably at the time I didn't think I probably deserved, but it was really, really cool. It's just being in the right place at the right time, isn't it? And yeah, it's just that's how it happens. How did you like transition from being on the gym floor to being an online coach? Um it's a good question. I'm trying to think about how I've done it. Uh, I think since I hired Cal, there was always that, that, that was probably my first exposure. So like I, I've been with Cal for four and a half years or not, like we were speaking on this, like I think I'm his longest client. Um, but like that was my first exposure to online coaching. Uh, and then I think I just sort of stepped something up. Um, and then I got my first client called Raj. Um, and and we're, still, we're still friends now. He was with me for about three or four years. Um, and I just started it. And I think, I think being with Cal, 
and like how then getting the exposure so give me a bit of exposure because there's like a there's like a young like sort of young group there's there's a group of people that thought like me Matt Ratcliffe Michael Fox Cameron Thomas I think as well there's a few of us at the start that thought the author Jack McDonald do sort of all clicked and then I'd done that and then I went on the OTE but I can't really think where the OTE comes that's all the time frame but when the OTE yeah, we did Adam Hayley, like I'd done the very first one. Yeah. And then me and Adam just hit it off. We got on really, really well in our course, like our course in the last 15 minutes, they had lasted an hour. And then he then asked me to mentor on his thing. And then it sort of went on from there, really. My, my online business started to grow as I was sort of getting a bit more exposed into that online world, if that makes sense. That's cool. Yeah, I, I, I was very fortunate. I, like I said, being in the right place at the right time, but then given, got given an opportunity to make sure I took it with both hands. But I'm very, very lucky to get these opportunities from a young age. Yeah, definitely. I mean, how long have you been online coaching for now then? Uh, just like solely online coaching? Uh, solely online coaching, not that long, two and a half years. Thank you. Two years, maybe. I was, I, I, was, I was online coaching. So whenever lockdown properly happened, I decided, like, when they you know, like gyms and all that, I was like, I decided to like, oh, okay, not, not coming back here anymore. Um so however long that was, I'm not too sure, maybe a year and a half, something like that. Um, but like I've been, I've been I've got my online coaching business for like three years now, three and a half years. Cool. Sweet. It was what was it called? Was it coached by AF? It was your online. Was that my first name? Did that something else? No, I think it was coached by AF where I had a different logo. Then I really changed my logo again, then changed my logo again. And then I, I didn't want my I didn't want my name to be the brand anymore. Yeah. I wanted um, I wanted it because I, I do see the company growing and potentially have it maybe having more than one train on the what Pete at the moment, but that might expand to others. Like I just get on with Pete really well. He's like he's a fucking gem, that lad. Like he's a he's a really, really driven individual. And like to find another one like him, I think would be quite hard, honestly, because it has to be someone with his personality, drive, want to be better and all that. And I think they're hard to find uh, people like that. So, but yeah, like it'd be cool to see where the company goes. Like I've got targets, aspirations of what I want. Um, but yeah, that that's, that was the main reason for the rebranding as well to take my name off it. That's that's what like we did when it was like JT physique um, going through that PT with that, and then obviously the online stuff. And then me and my friend who were met doing RTS was like, oh, "What do you want to do? Do you want to do like some coaching together and put some money into it?" and Obviously, I had to bring my name away, so I still kept the physique thing, but physique factory that started from from there pretty much. Yeah. But I know where you're coming from with it. Yeah. Cool. So anyway, we um, wanted to jump on this podcast mainly to talk about training and how we like we approach it. So, yeah. what do you want to say about our own training or how we're programming clients' training? Or it's a question. Um, we can go about like how we would start a program for a client. Like, it's like I think about our own training, like. We can go probably that probably go down so many different rabbit holes, wouldn't it? But like when it comes to like getting a client through the door to the thought process behind the program and like potentially also like what what gets just overthought now. Like yeah. I think you, you and I may we don't I don't think, but like I do feel like this whole execution world has it's gone a little bit too far. Yeah. Um in the god, like you're still gonna make sure I know we've done a video on it today about like load and whatnot, but it's like you're still gonna make sure you're using some kind of load. And not just squeezing a bicep as hard as you fucking can. Um, Critical tension at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. Like we, I think we spoke about this in the gym, didn't we? About like mechanical tension still king. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, like how you 
where you put that is where the execution comes into it. So making sure we're, we're set up, we've, we're using a machine that's biased in our structure, as opposed to fucking just picking up a barbell and rowing it, which yeah. will work for 7 10% of the population, whereas 90% of the population probably won't do, do jack shit for it or just fucking injure them. So I do think the RTS, execution, sort of modalities in that regard, does play a role. But I think some coaches now have just gone way, way, way too far with it. To the point of like, I'm not setting up a machine for 15 minutes. Yeah. There's got, there's got to be some sort of rule. I think like Michael, who Integra does the RTS, there's always like the water um, water cooler thing where you yeah. should be able to set an exercise up if you get the client to walk to the water cooler and back again. So roughly within like a, a minute or two, um, anything more than that, then it's just fucking about. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, but especially when it comes to clients as well, it's like, don't when you get like people who are starting off right from scratch, it's like, do they really need a reverse band or something? So it's like, they don't, they're probably still just trying to learn how to contract tissues. So exactly. it's like, spending that time setting up a machine for five minutes, could it be, could it be more spent potentially doing an extra set or two, warming up, making sure that the tissue we're trying to engage are actually working? So it's like, again, this is where like I think, Again, like because you and I've been in the industry a while now as well, like we've got experience on our side as well. And it's like when you see someone move, when you see someone doing an exercise, you, you get a good idea about what's working, what's not working. Yeah. Because we've seen it on so many different people. Uh, and that's probably my advice to younger coaches coming through the door now is just get people moving and performing exercise and picking things up like that. As for, as the coach trying to set up the perfect resistance profile. When I see people in the gym, um especially when I go to like other places and I'm watching PTs and they're getting like a 70 odd year old woman to do cable cuffed laterals or something like that. When you can literally, she'll just get something, a good amount of stimulus from just doing a dumbbell lateral raise or something as simple. Yeah, that, or just yeah. um, so there is, there's, that, there's definitely that. And it's again, like you said, it's a setup and, so I, I asked you to get into the thing. What does the client want to be like faffing around with cuffs? And I definitely see where you mean with that. And anytime I get like a new client, I just want to make it as basic as possible and easy for them as possible to like follow the program because they don't want to be going into the gym thinking, how the fuck do I set this band up on ears at the right amount of tension? And yeah, definitely. That was a great point. Completely good. That's like the, the, way, the way I always think about it, like say, you're looking regards like you train out to Mecca and I train out to Mecca as well. Pretty much most of my sessions at this moment of time is like the awesome atmosphere. They've got bands, they've got the equipment. Now, if you've got a person who's quite nervous going into the gym, rocking up with their night backpack with daisy chains, carabiners, green bands, and whatnot, into a pure gym at six o'clock where it's busy, like they're going to feel quite fucking intimidated. Do you know what I mean? It's like, do they really want to be fucking adding a band to a Smith machine at six o'clock in a pure gym where it's heaving? Probably not. They probably want to get in and out, as you said. And, and that's where, like, making plans as efficient as, as possible. Like, so potentially top set, back offset, probably wouldn't work for them. Probably having two, two chest press exercises, uh, a side lateral exercise to try to push down variation for, like, a push session. But do more sets on them given exercises just to create that volume in a busy time in a gym probably would be more optimal as opposed to, like, the luxury that you and I have got where we can train at 1 o'clock in the afternoon where the gym's a little bit quieter. We can choose different movements that are going to buy a certain parts of tissues because we've got that luxury where someone other people don't have that. Definitely, I think that like where PTs and coaches sometimes don't 
take that into consideration when they think, right, the client's going to be training like the peak time at night when the gym's the busiest and they're going to be waiting for yeah. machines and it's going to take about three hours to complete the, the most efficient workout that we can, or the most, uh, yeah. the best workout that we can write, but it might not be the, the most efficient. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, mate. And that's, that's the thing. It's like, again, this comes with experience, like feedback, doesn't it, for years ago? Like, fucking hell, you can't do that session in this time. It's like, okay, let's change that then. Um, that's, but again, pretty cool. it's that's cool. In uh, that, that's pretty cool. Like a good topic to think about, like especially like what time a client trains and how to like program it in, and especially what kind of gym um, the the training in and the equipment that it's got. And then next, I'd say, what what's your opinion on reps and reserve? Because I do use them myself and my clients, um, depending what client. Uh, oh, okay. So context. Everything needs context in this, so like definitely. I, I I don't like it. Like I personally, like I don't I don't enjoy it. Um so I'll never program it for myself unless potentially I was in a specific phase of training, like you're like peak week um or deloading potentially something like that, where you know it's necessary, but like for pure enjoyments, uh, that that's not for me. Um also I think it's a skill. Like leaving a leaving a rep in reserve, two reps in reserve, I think it's a skill. And I think I've seen Joe Jeffy speak about this. Like you might be rubbish at it at the top, but you'll get better as time goes on. Um, but I think for gem pop people, it's something very, very hard to use with them because they don't know what failure is at the first point. That's it. I mean, on a leg extension. I mean, everything Sorry. with a gem pop client, or especially a new like client in the gym everything's going to be have a rep in reserve pretty much everything because you're not going to take them to failure for the first like couple of a month or so or something like that or it depends what they can tolerate isn't it at the end of the day but in, in terms of actually our training totally agree with, with that um, because there's no way I could go into the gym and think right I'm going to like, put about two three reps in the tank um, when I'm literally every session or like periodize it or whatever because there's no way I could do that mentally because I just want to see progression and lift load and this. Yeah, and I think it's, I think it's a lot of things to track. Do you know what I mean? Like where it is, if you're, and again, like when you're when you're pushing failure all the time, like four stress and things like that, like recovery definitely has to be sort of tracked, and you have to be a little bit more savvy with that kind of thing. But like if we know if you're gonna know you've got a reference, say eight to twelve, and you you last week you done hundred kilos for eight, and then this week you keep executing the same, you do hundred kilos for nine. You can see that progression. Whereas yeah. when you're leaving reps in reserve, it's like, was that two reps in reserve? Was it one? Like, I think it's quite a hard to, hard rule to sort of follow. It's personally. a lot of around. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and, and that's something why I don't like doing it. Like, at least, you know, when you fail, you fail. Yeah. But again, I think you just got to be quite savvy on like sort of what exercise you choose, choose to do that on. Like a leg extension is a little bit different to a safety bar squat. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a safety exercise, isn't it? And choosing where you can fail and how far you can push those sets. Like a, a machine lateral raise, it's like fucking fail all day long. That's it. And then, then you start thinking, what the fuck's failure? The amount of yeah, like, yeah. classifications of failure, like what could it be? Like muscular failure, range failure, or yeah, yeah there's definitely there's a lot more that comes into it. But for me, when it comes to programming, it's, it's like it is like keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, just like just like use consistent metrics that you can track. And make sure people enjoy it. That's it. It's enjoyment at the end of the day. If someone's going in the gym and they're faffing around setting things up and they don't enjoy it, then they're not going to stick to it and they're not going to be consistent to hit the plan. And then obviously the results are going. Well, it's like I've seen you set up. Um, I think you've seen you set up a lateral raise with a dumbbell. Yeah. 
what I mean? It's like with a cable attached to it. It's like you love that shit. Yeah, so I, I, I love doing that stuff, but yeah. not I've never done that with a client. There was yeah. just me just fucking around. I was playing around with that, but, but this is like you no, know, like the enjoyment factor of it. it's like you're you're striving to get like the the most optimal sets of the machine because you fucking love it, yeah. whereas other people just want to do a dumbbell lateral. Exactly, that's it. They just want to train. Yeah, and there's no right or wrong in this. Like, because like you see fucking Casim and fucking Mike as a child, they fucking debate about reverse banding a hack and all this bollocks. And it's like doesn't really matter. Exactly, I think. Uh... They're making the worst of this industry at the moment, aren't they? I think, I think the because like you get clients, don't you go and like send your videos on? Oh, have you seen what Cassim said here? It's like, yeah, but like he's trying, you thought everyone's gonna understand he's trying to run a business as well. Like yeah. a lot of it's clickbait, like the amount of times he fucking see, puts a video of Joe Bennett doing something and then arguing completely against what Joe Bennett does. And it's like, yeah, but Joe Bennett trains Olympians, exactly. So I think something he does is quite, I think he's doing okay. Joe you know to me, and then you look at his physique, Joe Bennett's yeah, physique, yeah. and then you compare it to Cass's, and yeah, let's just leave it at that. Yeah, Cass, is, Cass is very, very intelligent, yeah. but it's like it gets to the point where you, you you struggle to trust what he says because sometimes you just feel like he, he wants fights all the time with people. Exactly. So is he just saying if it's just saying it's safe, just to wind people up or just to get people's attention? And then when people are like that, you do just lose a little bit of faith in what they say. That's it. I think in the industry, industry at the moment, the thing, right, everyone's got a team, right? We're, we're team N1 or yeah, we're yeah. team RTS. So I was like, can't we just like take everything and then just look into it and see yeah. how it applies and how we can how we use it right for and just... Yeah, like um, I done, I done pre-script last year, I think it was. And like, I love, I love it. I love how it's applied and whatnot. But the certain things that I don't use and certain things I do use. Yeah myself and clients are like but the but the the stuff's always in like the toolbox because like i just might not know how to apply it now but a year and a half it might have an application for me yeah and that that's how i look at when, when you learn other stuff like the rts stuff the the pre-script what, what a poor check stuff you want to fucking go all the way back there the gbc with like fucking charles pollock and all that kind of thing it's like as long as you, that's why education is so important isn't it like you just keep learning keep learning keep learning keep building up the repertoire of tools that you have and then they all come into place at some. They all come into use at some point. That's it. it's, it's a collective thing, isn't it? As you're going through your PT or coaching career, then you're just collecting education and then applying it at the right points and the right clients. It's like the the GBC stuff. I mean, that's really really cool for like it would be that normal people who can only train like two three times a week. Yeah. And um, I find that really works. Like when I was working at FLF, that's where I really started picking it up. I thought this is a pretty cool way of approaching it. And for the majority of clients who went in there who like really really limited the time, I thought. This is a really cool method of um, approaching a, a PT session. Yeah, hundred percent. But like for for you and your goals and regards to stepping on stage and whatnot, it no. probably doesn't apply as much. No, you know yeah, I mean? not at all. Yeah, no. I mean, like when we we can get on. Well, we're we're, we're prepping to get on the stage. Say so we can train like four, five, six times even a week, can't we? Because um, mm-hmm. this is this is our life. This is our job, pretty much. So for us, maybe that's not the best approach. But for someone who can hardly get to the gym, then that's that's a really good approach it's condensing the workouts which is pretty cool so again like you said everything's got context and who it applies to and what the goal is yeah no i know 100 agree with that i said like it, it all depends you said the right thing there mate it all depends on the goal goal time frame and and the clients and what they can actually do definitely that's it and then let, let's go back to um d loads as we were talking about before we actually jumped on here so obviously we we've uh, our preps run a bit short. We um, basically me and Ali didn't end up getting on the stage for the same sort of reasons. Um, some like GI issues. 
caused mainly from stress recovery, potentially. Um, and then we just started talking about deloads and how we're going to implement them and what, what they mean. So what how are you approaching the deload thing now? Okay, so I remember, I can, I can remember this to this day. I had a conversation with Kyle, because Kyle's mentoring me for a little bit, about a year ago. And you and I, were, as I said, we're, like, we're obsessed with training. Like, if we're feeling good, we still want to go to the gym. Now, sometimes when you're feeling good, you're pushing the boundaries and go out to training intensity and whatnot. The signs and symptoms that we potentially don't pick up on because we are more obsessed with the, the training and the progression side of things. But like me and Kyle said, like every six weeks, I need to deload. This is what we said about a year ago, something like that. But did I fuck listen to it? Um, so like we'll go like 10 weeks, 11 weeks, 12 weeks and go, Kyle, I'm feeling a bit battered now. So like that's how I used to go about deloads was when I felt battered, I'll take five days off. But what I'm doing now is I'm scheduling in deloads every, I think it's after six weeks of training. It's the seventh week I take off, but it might be after five weeks of training, take a week off. I'm going to sort of just rethink that strategy. How I'm approaching it is I'm going to have three days off training completely and then three sort of de-volume sessions. Yeah. I think that's the terminology that everyone uses now or what's a, what, what other sessions is it like? There was another name for it about a year ago. I think it was called like a... It's always a, a new session name. Or whatever it's, yeah, it's always a new name, but it's like, I'm just going to reduce the sets or keep the intensity high. But what I'm also might do is like, normally say if we do a top set, back off set, I'm just going to do the back off set. Yeah. So my load exposure is still less for them three sessions um, and then get back onto it, essentially. Excuse that, me. That's cool. So yeah, that's, that's my plan of action. That's exactly what I've been doing for like the last year with uh, with Josh. Because I think I think it's come from the um, the it's it's like the physique collective and mainly all of the Mike Israel sort of thing, isn't it? With, with the meso cycles, um, and obviously it came over here and Joe Jeffries started getting into it and programming stuff like that. And then obviously, was Cal coached by Joe? Mm, I think they consulted for a while together. With it, I, um, I think it started. That's through. what I think they were doing, but. But I'm, I'm not too sure if they actually watch call it if the if they were working together because Cal Cal right now is not really bodybuilding is he Cal's yeah. just like putting people on pro stages um, and then we get to eat some food eat some food um, but yeah I think I think just the because the Joe Jeffy does the like it's like the increase in volume donkey as well like this methodology like you start off in like say two sets and you go to five sets and all this kind of thing but I, like the first book I really read into deloads was Fortitude Training ah cool um. Dr. Scott's quality training, like, and he does the thing is it's like every four weeks take a deload, um, which I thought was quite interesting. So that's why I'm sort of going for like the six week mark, a little bit past that. But like he he done it where you'd start off and say like tier two on like say volume level, and then you could escalate the volume. So you go tier two, tier three, table, tier one, and then table tier two, something like that, and then you take a deload. Um, have you read Fortitude? Um, no, I've read his the, the how to prep yourself bodybuilding okay. book, but I've never looked, like looked into the fortitude stuff. I know like muscle rounds came from there, but mm-hmm. I've never actually looked into the fortitude training. But I spoke to Cal about this because like everyone does it, but no one sticks at it for a long period of time. And I was thinking, why don't people just stick at it? And I think it is just it's not like I don't know. I don't know why people don't stick. It's like I've ran it two or three times now, but I've only ever ran it for 12 weeks. I've never ran it for like a year or anything like that. Yeah. Um and I don't know why people stop. I think everyone goes back to sort of what they what they know. Yeah, if that makes sense. Like all... training sort of yeah. stuff. I, I remember design split my friend Christy like DC style. Now, and that's probably the best, most fun I've ever had training. Yeah, but it just broke me. 
absolutely broke me. Um, but like, if we're going to give like young people training advice, fortitude training and DC training all day long. Yeah, I mean the DC training, the intensity with that. I mean it that it's come like popular since like JP and yeah, of course, yeah, isn't it? But um, that's where I, I very first started getting into bodybuilding. Um, started I joined the site and. And I, sat, I met him in Flex and Tone when he was down in Manchester. Okay. And that's when I first, like, because I was at uni in Salford and um, I was going there every day. And then one day he was in there training. I thought, fucking hell, he's massive. And yeah, 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 that's how I really got into bodybuilding. And I got really um, fixated on like the JP crowd. And it just oh, went- snap, snap, mate. Snap, same here. I, I got into bodybuilding because what the place where I first started working, one of the girls was doing a bikini. And then um, and Ryan Terry won the British Championship. So that that you're talking years ago now. 2013, that was one. Okay, 2013. So that's what Ryan Terry won. Um, and the, the manager of the gym went, have you ever thought about giving that a go? Because I've always stayed lean when I was yeah. younger, but just didn't have any tissue. I think I was weighing like 70 kilos, something like that, 68 kilos. Um, and he went, would you ever give that a go? So like, I, I just done my own prep. But didn't have a fucking scooby. What I was doing, like when I was like, do you know, like when you're supposed to carve up, I was eating chicken and asparagus. Okay, now just getting flat. Yeah, just just didn't have a clue, and I done like um, UK BFF, and I was naive to think everyone was natural. Uh, no, not everyone wasn't natural. Um, so like that, that was my first ever show. Must have been about 2014, 2015. Ah, oh, cool. 24, 23, something like that. Wow, I think that's then, my first competed around that age. Was it okay? Cool. Um, so yeah, you're younger than me though. Yeah, I did. Uh, what did I do? 2017 was my first show, uh, UK BFF Par Hall. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't, that's why I done my first one. Everyone, that's everyone's first show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, men's physique machine as well, wasn't it? Yeah, that was it. Did uh, men's junior men's physique. Actually, I didn't even do junior and I qualified for junior. That's how much I didn't have a fucking clue. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I was, I was, it was cool because I was very naive to it, but like, I still fell in love with it. Yeah. And then you just go from there, don't you? And then what was your next show after that? Uh, Body Power. I think that was a year later, two years later. Then I done BMBF. Then I done PCA Manchester when I done my first. So that was my first ever cycle um, competition. And then I was supposed to be PCA Manchester again, PCA FitX, FitX, the, the, the 20th thing. That was supposed to be my next one. But I compete again next year, the year after, so 2023 or 2024. And then I don't know when I'm going to call it because I keep saying I'm going to stop it, but I just I'm just too obsessed with the sport. Uh, it's just the I don't know. It's the crowd that we're in, isn't it? And the actual the community and like we said, like the routine and the structure of it. It's just it's just our life at the end of the day. Like there's, yeah. there's no way I could go back to just eating food without weighing it. I don't understand like how anyone can do it. I can't even think about doing that anymore. Yeah. Uh, it's well, just a- so I was going to say like like to, to the back end of like my last last off season. Like I was so fixated on work, um, like really pushed my business, but I, I didn't really track food. But like, no, because we've been doing it for so long, you, you know, so constantly track anyway. Yeah, you're like, food. Yeah, like China went to me, like, you're not even tracking food when China, I can guarantee you're meeting between 4,200 and 4,600 calories. Yeah, so exactly. you know, and then I tracked my food the following day and I was 4,300 calories. Oh, well, right in the middle, pretty much nearly. That's because cool. it's like you, you just know, don't you? Like, you could eyeball now what between what 160 grams of chicken looks like, and you're going to probably be about 145 or 175. Yeah, like, like really, then 15 grams over a course of a day, over a course of a week is going to mean jack shit, especially um, in as well. Well, yeah, of course. And say like, that's like again, like because we've been doing it for so long, because we've been tracking food for so long, like 
we this is why like I think tracking food is is not necessarily a bad thing because like you you learn portion size you learn sort of what a serving of rice is say like 75 grams or 50 grams of raw cooked rice is yeah. because you've been so used to this going on a scale for so long and then you know what it looks like and you pick up these habitual routines and then like you go out to a restaurant and then you can enjoy yourself but you also understand that like probably let's not nail fucking four desserts at the end of the day I wouldn't even think about that because it just fucked my digestion up and I don't yeah. definitely don't want that from what's happened. So Yeah, yeah, 100%. Like, I'm not a dessert person anyway. I don't get the obsessions with them. No, we were saying about this the other day, weren't we? The, yeah, uh, the Turkish. Yeah, I just, don't, I just don't get it. Like, so, like, every time you go out, like, chance that you're on desserts, it's like, you know, I don't fucking like them. You're only asking so you don't feel guilty fucking eating a dessert in front of me. Um, and, that, yeah, I just don't get the obsession with desserts. Yeah, I've got a really bad sweet tooth. Baklava. It's just probably the best thing on the planet. I just don't get it. It's like, it's like I, I jet like honestly, like I love a cookie. Do you know, like, I, I love a cookie, and like when, um, I, I used to live with Becky D, and like she bakes, doesn't she? And she she gave me diabetes. Made good job. I was fucking running insulin. Um, but like so, like anything that she like left over, we would have just had tweet, and like I, that that was fucking really nice. But I wouldn't go out. It's not the way people go out just for a dessert. Like they go to like midnight cookie or whatever it's called. It's like, I don't get that. I'd rather go out for a burger. Yeah. Yeah. De- I mean, like, definitely going out for a main or something like that. That's something I look forward to, like, burger, pizza, anything, anything like that, 100%. Yeah. I say a bit of both. I definitely have the burger, but then I go and get a dessert or something as well. <laughs> I, I, I love, like, starter main. Like, I love a starter. Honestly, like, so we went to Turkish and, like, what did I get? I got, like, some king prawns and, like, some chili and lime thing, and she got some meatballs. Love that. I, I, I love, okay, areas. I love meat over, like, um, over, like, sweet stuff. Yeah. I think, like, that, I think that's where it is. But I've always been like that. Like, I think when I was a kid, I don't eat Fionetta ice cream. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and when it comes to cake, I'd only have chocolate cake. And then my only biscuit I'd have was a crusted cream. Standard. Like, I was very, very selective in what I liked dessert-wise. Um, what's, your, what's your go-to main, then? Oh, fucking good question, that. At the moment... At the moment, I'm obsessed with sushi, and I don't know why. Like, I really want sushi, uh, but I don't know why, because I'm not the biggest lover of sushi, but I've ju- I just really, really want to have it. It's a bodybuilding thing, isn't it? I mean, ever since... I that- yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's good, because like, there's been so many things, posts on Instagram about it and whatnot, I'm thinking, maybe you should just give it another go. Because I remember we- I went to train it. I had a bad experience with it. We went to train at M10 with a guy called Cameron Thomas. Do you know who he is? Like, sure. he's, like, he's, he's like a rapper now. Right. Like he had he had an awesome physique about three years ago. Like when he was applying himself to bodybuilding, we went to train at M10, and then there's no you can eat sushi place, and like we fucked up a little bit because like pretty much what you do is you take the things off in the menu, you give it to them, they bring it through. Now the restaurant was really busy. Whatever you don't eat, you have to pay for. That's oh, the real. Fucking hell. So we were handing in menus and menus and menus because like there was a backup of things, and then the restaurant cleared out, and then they just started bringing trays and trays and trays of sushi on. So point of like. I got some sushi, wrapped it in a napkin, and was putting it in my bag so we didn't have to pay for it. But like during your ovary food and your stomach's absolutely killing. Can't so I had to sleep. Yeah, and just like, oh, I felt really bad that day. But like that was my last experience, like really eating a lot of sushi. But yeah, I think it is potentially the bodybuilding thing. And I like, just see yeah. it on Instagram and like I go, maybe just give it another go. Because like everyone raves about it. So it's like, there must be something about it that I might be missing. To be fair, it was my last meal before prep. Um, started in May so me, Danny, uh, Nick and then Connor who we do the podcast with we all went to oh you can eat sushi in Sounds Cora opposite the, the four what's it like? 
it's good, you know, but they have these like robot things that deliver your sushi. And uh, so you've got an iPad and you, you order it on that. So when you put an order in, it, it like refreshes every 15 minutes. So you've got to wait that long until like you order again. So we kept ordering. And then towards the end, when he kept seeing these like robot things coming towards us, we started sweating, thinking, oh, I hope this isn't for us. Fucking yeah. hell. The amount of sushi we ate was like ridiculous. But luckily, we didn't have to pay for what we didn't eat. And then there was just shitloads of like sushi left and there was no way for dinner. It's, I mean, it's pretty cheap. It's only like 25 quid for literally all you can eat. So it's, um, yeah, I definitely recommend it. Is that, is that, does it do like a, like a, like a facenza kind of thing as well? Does meat? It does meat, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe pop down there because I've been trying to put me and China trying to go out somewhere this Saturday just for some scran. Um, that's probably scouts need to say that's scran. Uh, just, uh, just for some food. Um, but yeah, okay, cool. But in, in regards to like, I do love a Turkish. Nice. Yeah, I love a Turkish and a roast. Nice. I was saying about the Christmas Day going out for Turkish food. That's what yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that I do, which is a bit yeah. odd. But... I mean, but I could understand. We went to we went to a Turkish on Saturday. And we got like we got two mixed grills fucked up there badly. We should have just got one mixed grill between the both of us. Cause mate, like it was a lot of meat. Nice. Um, I woke up two kilos heavier that day just from protein. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, I love a Turkish. I, I do love a Turkish, but I love like no like a pub, like a pub roast. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite simple when it comes to food, mate. Like don't give me, don't take me to a Michelin star. Fuck that shit. No, like, when you get these little tiny portions. Uh, don't fucking decon- do, don't deconstruct the fucking chocolate cake. Just give me a chocolate. You know what I mean? It's like, why are you deconstructing like a chicken pie? <laughs> it's just, yeah, I, I'm not, but like, I can, I'm not into food like that. Yeah. But it's like, I've got a friend called Laura Blair and she is obsessive with that kind of stuff. Like, obsessive with like restaurants. She's been to so many Michelin stars and all this kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, it's not for me that. I just want something dirty. That's all it is. I mean, not, nothing fancy. The dirtier, the well, sort of. I don't know. Um, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. Like, I need something to fill me. Yeah, that's it. I need to feel full. If I leave a restaurant and I feel like shit, I need to go to Mackey's. Yeah, it's not been a good trip. That's it. Um, well, yeah, to me, probably, yeah, to me, go to food. What about yours? What's your go-to thing? Yeah, you know, it varies. It always changes. Um, again, again, burgers like. The, Five Guys, even though it's again, it's another bodybuilding food, isn't it? So, Five Guys, sushi, um, anything like that. I'm trying to think, I think that's it, really. Uh, I maybe, love a Five Guys, I do like a Five Guys, maybe like an Italian. Ah, uh, no, nah, not for me, though. Yeah, it started growing on me a little bit, so yeah, no, it's something like that. But that, without doubt, like Five Guys is up there. All right, let's get, let's bring it back to training. What do you think? Uh, what do you think is like the biggest mistake people make with training nowadays? Overcomplicating it. Yeah. I mean, literally, what we've like just been talking about. Um, there's so many ways to approach training, isn't there? Um, but literally, just get strong because if you see like the success, like leaves clues. Everyone who's fucking massive is strong, so why not just get strong and then yeah. just manage recovery. Yeah, I think that I think that's the one there. It's like so like the manager recovery one, I think, just applies to people who can train at very, very high intensity. Do you know, like when you've got clients who go off unless a client's got a really, really highly stressful job, yeah, like they don't need to manage recovery. It's like they don't train hard enough to manage recovery. Exactly. This is when you start thinking about I had this conversation with Nick the other day, and it was like, when would you like for a gen pop client, when would you like implement deloads? And I was like, I just wouldn't. And I was like, yeah, because they're not bringing the intensity there or when they've got a holiday or do you like no like no say like it's no say people like they're high up in a job and stress levels are high and you've got like okay like say like a school teacher or a headmaster we're like coming up to 
like the start of school or coming up to like sort of like a like a week off in school or something like that, you know, where everything's rush, rush and stress will be high. Probably yeah. give them a deal then. Just because like training's a stress, isn't it? So like putting stress on top of stress on top of stress probably isn't a clever move. But like in regards to like unless they train like an animal, which most gen pop don't because they're not as obsessive as us. Yeah. Um I'll never implement a deal. But then if they train like an animal, um probably I don't know, it's a good question. Um if they recover well, they sleep well, they, they eat well, they can probably go for longer if they don't sleep well. Probably like you and I, every fucking four weeks, five weeks. <laughs> but we yeah. need one. It just comes back to that thing, like who's the person, what's the goal? And it always comes back to the, the, the context. And yeah. it, it depends. Every, every time someone asks me a question, I always come back, it depends. And I fucking hate answering. They hate that answer, but it, I can't answer anything else. They're not giving me any context for it. Yeah, like, like I change, like because I, I hate that now. It depends. Yeah, and I hate it myself. It's been a night. It's really annoying me. But I'm like, but, give me a little bit more context. That's it. That, that's what I say. So just give me some more context around what you're actually trying to get at. Just like because it does, like it does depend on the scenario, the situation, and whatnot. Because there's no PDF document to how to achieve a result. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like because like every human's different. Like China's a dentist. It's like she has a completely different lifestyle to me who sits here at a computer desk. Like we both have stress, but our stresses are different. Yeah. Like um, our time schedules are different. Like I don't necessarily have to be anywhere at a specific time where she has to be at work at nine for her first patient. But yeah. I have to I might have to get up at seven to do a call with a client. So it's like we, we have to we'd be the, but everyone has different stresses, but again, it, it goes around like the person's lifestyle. And like she, like, and she has to fucking do a job where she, she's got quite a lot of responsibility. So her stress level when she performs something, even though her days might be shorter, she she's exposed to high levels of stress over a short period of time. Whereas, because you and I run our own businesses, we've we're always exposed to stress. Exactly. Like, we're just thinking about like what to do next. That we never. The thing is, we never switch off with running our own business. That's the thing why we. Like just we we ne- we don't even think about it. We don't even think about the stress or how it's impacting our our life or our training or anything like that. We just keep going and going and going. And then when something like happens, what happens was during prep, then we realize right we need to sort of start like managing this now, don't we? hundred. And I think that's where like trying like, paying more attention to like the orders. Like I've basically designed a check-in for myself, which I do get to clients. I was like, oh, the I've called it the advanced check-in, where all these metrics are getting tracked a little bit more in depth. Yeah. Um. I seen Kuba do do like a, a very in-depth check and I thought that's quite cool actually. So I was watching Kuba sort of like reflection on his week and whatnot. And it's like, yeah, like I think I need to start paying a little bit more attention to that because I, I don't think people understand the impact stress has on progression. Yeah. Um like it's 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 the biggest killer in life. It's like people people you think are healthy are not healthy and from the inside from stress levels. And it's like if you can pay more attention to that and you can track metrics, like you don't have to fucking track HRV. Yeah. Just track your rest and heart rate. If you rest the heart rate, suddenly just start sky skyrocket, and your sleep's going worse and worse and worse. Probably need to take some time off in some way, shape, or form. Go to a spa or something like that. I told Jack Conte to do that. Um, he's like, he, he just wasn't sleeping. He felt, I was like, look, you're not doing any cardio. Take yourself to a spa. Felt great the next day. I mean, this is like your physique can really change from it. I um, so I went out the weekend. They enjoyed myself. I didn't get like too drunk. This is the first drink I had in like six months. Um, just because I don't really, obviously, yeah. not like related to our goals, what we want to achieve. Um, but I did enjoy myself, and I slept for eight hours that night just because, like, the drank, and I woke up the next day and I looked even better just because, like, the rest probably like dehydrated from the alcohol a little bit okay. and maybe the off plan meal. 
Um, but I, looked, I think it's because of the rest, and I just look so much like leaner and tighter and fuller. And I thought, you know what? It, you need really need to start paying attention to things like sleep. Well, that's like that's like you know when clients come to the back end of a prep or back end of a photo shoot or just back end of a dive phase where they're doing some kind of dramatic transformation. It's like I had um, M and O do uh, um, do a photo shoot with Eddie Whitehall. I keep oh, butchering the second name. I think it's Whitehall um, at, at their place. And like the last week, it was just like you put your feet up and chill. The hard work's done. It's like just chill because like as you said, like stress has such an impact on the physique. Makes you retain water, and that's why like you you get told like. So to take your foot off the gas, the back end of it, which which is very very hard to mentally get your head over, because you, you feel like you should be pushing harder. The opposite to what you've been yeah. doing, and literally what we said before we got on the podcast, you say that you've had like when you had seven hundred grams of carbs that your weight literally dropped the next day. Yeah, it's it's like, and it's a sign. Like I said, like I got that from someone else, so it's like I'm not gonna term it as my my term my my rule of thumb, but it does make sense. It's like if you're just going through food so much, it's like. You're probably in a bit of a hole that you need to get out of. Yeah. So again, I think I think what you and I are going to do in like this next improvement phase, like I think about like regard to staying on top of stress, making sure that we don't put yourself in a hole. It's not worse than being in a hole. You should actually probably stop yourself from being in that hole first and actually getting into it. Uh, I think we'll both see massive massive improvements. Um, and then the next thing is like when it comes to progressive old load, which is done my video on today, is like don't fucking put five ten kilos on a bar. Do you know what I mean? It's like slowly micro progressions. Yeah. Um, which is something I've never really done because you just get ahead of yourself, don't you? It's like, I reckon I can RDL 240 today. Exactly. I mean, when we spoke about in the gym the other day about like the hack squat and reverse banding it and top band, bottom banding it and loading it up with so much like plates, why not like bottom? But obviously you've got two different uh, methods of doing it and they are slightly different, which um, causes slightly different things. But again, like putting plates on top of plates instead of doing like an eight plate hack squat, you could do a five plate hack squat with a bottom band and you're going to still get the same sort of stimulus with that. Yeah. And, and for me, because like that's what I've done last night. Um, and it's like, you know, like when you, like everyone has a reference on, you say like six to 10, six to eight. And it's like, just don't move the weight up until you get to the top end, until you get, when you've got a six to eight rep range, until you get nine reps and then increase the low. Because I mean, I'm just as guilty that I mean, the amount of four reppers. I done throughout yeah. this prep is ridiculous. And it's like, it's just because we love it because we all love getting strong and whatnot. But how congruent, congruent is that? Is that the word? How like applicable is that to our goal? Yeah. Probably not. Like it's, it's fun. It's been competitive though, isn't it? When, especially in Metcom when there's 19 year old kids lifting templates aside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Fuck, I need to put my game. That's like when you, when you're like, what the China fucking deadlift yesterday? 150 for seven. Fucking hell. And just and just and in a words where I think I had more, but it just didn't feel right how light it was. Shit. No, you're just like <laughs> great. Uh, but it's like when you live with someone like that, and as you said, when you expose these young guys, and like look, like we've all done, we, we we were all probably a little bit strong, and we all probably didn't execute things as well when we were younger at that point as well. But like the fucking impressive, and it's like it's like fuck off, you're not beating me. You know what I mean? Like that competitive side, but yeah, it is hard. Like, it is hard. It is, mate. But um, the same time, that's why we love it, though, isn't it? Because I get, I, I, I do think about just now, just like slow micro progressions. Because I've never really done it, so it's like I wonder what effect it'll have on my physique. It's been smart. I mean, like like we said about recovery, it's definitely going to aid in that, isn't it? Just gradually mm-hmm. building up rather than throwing a shitload of weight on what we can yeah. live and what happens. Um, so let's wrap it up in terms of the next like year. What do you want to achieve in terms of like your your uh, bodybuilding goals? 
Okay, cool. Um, so looking back on my physique, like I made massive improvements uh, from like the last time I stepped on stage. So I was like 72.6, I think, last time on stage. And I was 96, pretty much stage ready without like food into me and whatnot. So a fair bit of tissue got put on by, my, by myself and Cal. I, I think I need potentially about another five or seven K. Yeah. It's like really, really sort of, how can I put it? Hold me on, if that makes sense. Um, like I've got no idea how I would have done. What category was you going to do? Class two. Ah, cool. Class, class two. Um, it was quite cool getting me programming done by uh, Luke Miller. So, like, the way it's been programmed is different to how I've been sort of programmed before. And, like, Luke's going to look over it every now and then as well and just make some adjustments and whatnot. Nice. Um, and his critique on my physique was different to what I thought. Because I just think I need more arms. But he said, biceps are okay, triceps need work. And back needs to come up because if you think and hamstrings and you think it like and then he was breaking down shots. Yeah. It's like if you think of this shot with a bit more lat, if you think of this shot, with, so that was quite cool. So my goal is to look like I should be China's boyfriend. Um, like it goes to go to the Olympia. So it's like make sure like when I'm standing next to her, I don't look like her bitch. So um, like yeah, I want about another five or six kilos of tissue. Which is a lot, by the way. Like if anyone knows bodybuilding, that's a lot of tissue to put on. So the amount of tissue that me and Cal put on in that two and a half years, like it was a fair amount, like 12, 13 kilos. It's like another five kilos on top of that. I think it'd be quite a cool transformation, quite a cool journey. And then, yeah, that's pretty much the goal. And then when I'm going to compete when I feel ready to compete. I was going to compete this time next year, but if I don't feel like I've done the job that needs to be done, I won't. And like I said, like China's only Olympian, like I want want her to get to that. Like that's the aim. It's like, I think we're going to go to America and going to go to other shows which is just a fucking cool experience isn't it so i want to be able to enjoy that um and then i might prep if she gets the olympia after when that finishes so like january next year yeah that's cool that's uh that's my plan for other oh, january the following year or yeah I, th- I think so mate. i think so i think like i like prepping together was interesting learned a lot about each other and i, I, I like if, if 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 the goal is to get to the olympia like it needs me potentially not being in a diet phase as well to be able to help her through it. But at the end of the day, like you still, you also need to be selfish and I'll see how my physique's looking. And if I, if I can get to say one or five kilos and still be in good shape, then I'll fucking diet down. Yeah. If I feel like, if I feel like I need to push on a little bit more, I'll push on. And then obviously when it comes to like the, the pet side, I use I'm going to push things for the first time. Never really pushed them, never really went to anything silly. Really. I've always been quite sensible with Cal obviously being the coach and, yeah, just never really tried anything to things, but like I've had all the health metrics checked, I'm in good shape. So hopefully use a bit more extra tools as well. Wicked. Yeah, how about yourself? Um, I'm going to start prepping January next year and compete in April just because I've not been on stage since 2018 and I was really wanting to get on stage this year. So it'll be like four years and I just need to get on stage. So I've got like four or five months of putting back on the muscle that I've lost from being ill because I lost literally two and a half stone in nearly like just over two weeks. Um, so put that back on, hopefully a little bit more, bring up some of like my weaker areas and then start prep in January the next year for shows in April. And I've got a holiday booked in May, so it sort of works well that's for fair. that. <laughs> nah, that's fair enough, that's fair enough. So that's the plan. Yeah, I'm going to definitely get a few sessions in and get some content for everybody else. Yeah, man, 100%. Well, it's been good having you on. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Smashing. So let's wrap it up there. Um, nice one, guys, for listening and um, look forward to seeing you next. Cheers. Cheers.